0: This podcast contains sensitive topics and discussions. Listener discretion is advised. Previously on Direct Appeal. She was
1: such a good person. She was fun and she was funky, she was sassy. She wasn't afraid to tell you how she's feeling. I'm more of a passive person. I'm not always going to be the one to, to outright,
2: like, tell somebody how it is. She had no problem doing that. She complimented him greatly. I never saw him argue or anything like that. I always tell people and you know, it's just she was really one of the best people I ever met. There's never never a time that I can
1: really remember where we even had so much as any kind of a major argument about her dispute about anything. Um, her head was underneath like the water spigot and I'm just trying to get a reaction from her at that point. I mean, she was just lifeless.
0: This is episode two. Underwater. We ended last episode with Ryan describing how he found his new wife, Sarah, in the bathtub under the water, appearing lifeless. And he was panicked, according to his story. On this episode, we discuss Ryan's full account of the night of August 11th, 2008, because this is crucial to our analysis. Ryan and Sarah, as a reminder, had gotten home from work. They heated up leftovers, watched some TV. Ryan said it was like any other night. This part you've heard before, but you haven't heard everything. Specifically, what happened after Ryan actually found Sarah? Before we hear the rest of Ryan's account, we wanted to play for you the 911 call that Ryan made that night so you can form your own opinion. Along the way, we'll pause to discuss certain details. There will be many points from this firsthand account that will be brought up at trial, and we want to make sure to cover them all. Nine one one two emergency. I
3: uh, my, my wife fell asleep in the bathtub and I think she's dead. What's the what's the address? <inaudible> 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 Morrow, Ohio. Okay, I need you to calm down, pal. I can't understand the address. What was it? Quarter.
4: <inaudible> well, there's already a lot to talk about there. Oh, <laughs> <inaudible> I'm glad you noticed it. What? I mean, to me, there's two huge things. Number 1, I've heard people say the breathing is so heavy that it's exaggerated. Right. I
0: don't agree with that. I don't I mean, is the 911 phone call really evidence or are we just subjectively listening to a voice and 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 making our decision based on whether or not someone is reactionary or if they're calm? These aren't really that's not really evidence of innocence or guilt.
4: And I think if there's anything we say too much <laughs> in all of our podcasts it would be you cannot judge an individual's affect. We all act differently to traumatic events and you absolutely cannot listen to somebody or look at them and judge their innocence or guilt based on their reactions. That could be just a normal response. But the more interesting part was she fell asleep in the bathtub. Right. Because if I found my husband he clearly knows she's deceased. He mentioned she's dead already or something, which I don't know how he knew that. Maybe he felt for a pulse. Well, he she doesn't know for sure. He thinks okay. she might be dead. So I guess my point is, if I saw someone who was seemingly deceased in a bathtub, I don't, I don't think that saying that person fell asleep would be top of mind. But again, you mentioned that she had a history of falling asleep. So
0: It's taken out of context. If you're not him, I don't know. These are the two points that I would have hit on exactly. And why he said my wife fell asleep in the bathtub. That's something that comes under intense scrutiny later on. Because people seem to think that he's making an excuse. Exactly. Mm -hmm. They thought he was making an excuse right off the bat. Like, why did why did he even say that? They want to know. And then you could ask, well, why not? I mean, if that's what he thought happened, like, uh, my wife fell asleep in the bathtub. Oh, my God, I think she's dead. Well, I guess you could think about, like, what else would explain it? He probably didn't
4: notice that she had any cuts or bruises or what else would explain. I mean, the only other way you could
0: phrase it, too, would be my wife's in. I just found my wife in the bathtub. Yeah. You know, not, quote, fell asleep. She's not
4: breathing or something happened. I don't know what happened.
0: Let's hear more. From
3: Hamilton Township? Yes, Morrow, Ohio. Now, what's going on? Uh, she fell asleep in the bathtub. I think I was downstairs. I just came up here and she was laying face down in the bathtub. In, in the water? Yes. How old is she? She's 24.
4: Okay. Again, he says she fell asleep. So that was the second time. Yep. So even if it was just a reaction, he had it the first time. He said it twice. Yep. And then huge part, he says she was face down. But when you spoke with
0: him and during trial, I believe he also said that she was face up. So when I spoke with him and later on, subsequently, he did say that she was face up. His clarification was that I meant she was under like underneath the water, like head underwater, and that he just kind of minced his words like a figure of speech. almost. Mm -hmm. It it was just a figure of speech, but really he was like, she's underwater, but looking up, facing up. But it depends on which way you if you're for innocence, maybe you think that was just a slip of the tongue. Right. Mm -hmm. And if you're For guilt, you think that was uh, deliberate or not deliberate, but a mistake that he made in his story. It's
4: just interesting because we don't think about the words we use mistaking face down for face up. If you used it in an innocuous situation, you'd be like, oh, I meant face up
0: or, you know, like it it could mean nothing. nothing. But in this case, it meant everything. Yep.
3: bathtub yes the water's draining right now i tried to do it. I, I, everything i could i tried it okay. so you took, You taking her out of the water now yeah yeah she the is completely drained but she's just laying here unconscious nothing she's still in the bathtub yes yes all right
4: the crying and the breathing again okay some might say it seems exaggerated i don't believe so because what happens if he doesn't cry what happens if he's, well, just- he's damned if he does he's damned if he doesn't because right. he's under a microscope at this point okay second part uh draining the water yes so some might say it's a reflect uh, reactionary reactionary to drain the water. I think I'd be more concerned with getting the person out of the tub than getting rid of the water. But again,
0: I was not in the situation. So I don't know. Those are the two arguments presented by both sides, though. Yes, the exact argument that he should have first priority should have been just grabbing her out. But I don't know, because I, when I heard this, too, I went, I probably would have grabbed the plug. Like I probably would have like seen the water and been like, oh my God, get the water out, get the water out. So uh, I, again, it depends on which the lens through which you want to view this. And this call is either indicative of innocence, guilt, but not quite evidence, at least not yet. Let's continue.
3: Okay, so when you, when you drain the water out of the tub... Yes. In the bathroom. I have I she was in here for at least I have fifteen minutes, half hour somewhere in there. I was out there watching TV. She, she falls asleep in the tub all the time. It,
0: it, two things here. I have a few things. Yeah. <laughs> just I, things. We're never gonna get through this call, <laughs> but two things two things here. I I think when I spoke with Ryan, could have sworn that he said Sarah went upstairs earlier because he went up after ten and I thought he said like after 830? dinner around eight thirty nine. So I mean maybe he just Look, maybe might be, has no concept of time, but it did seem like a big part of like there was some time that elapsed there. Yeah. So he said 15 that that's exactly
4: what I was going to say. It said maybe 15 minutes, maybe a half hour. But again, I don't really judge that as much because if you don't think you need to be paying attention to the time, you're you not, not going
0: to. Of course not.
4: But it sounds like maybe it seemed longer because we're listening so intently. But mm-hmm. when he's crying and breathing, there's like dead air. Mm-hmm. You know, the 911 operator isn't saying anything. Mm-hmm. What is he doing during that time? Because he didn't start CPR yet. Is that correct? I think he's just waiting. You think he's just like pacing and kind of like doesn't know what to do?
0: I think he's pacing and doesn't know what to do. And I also think the 911 operator, not so good. No. Uh, Can you do CPR? Uh, Yeah, I can try. Uh, But I don't think he provided... Like much guidance or instruction, like well, at this
4: point, shouldn't he have also said, "Does she have a pulse? Is she breathing?" I Does think he there's say a that? lot of
0: things he should have said, and I don't think they usually they're talking you through it. Okay, we have help on the way. Mm-hmm. Let's do this. There's usually more, but we'll find out later on more and, about that. And this isn't a truncated version of the nine one one call. This is the full nine one one call. <laughs>
3: okay, and how are you related to your mother? or? I'm her husband. Husband? Yes. What's your name? Ryan Whitmer. Say your last name for me, Ryan. W-I-D-M-E-R. Okay. And the phone you calling me from? Yes, it's her cell phone. It's okay. okay right there, Have you man. tried CPR? Yes, as much as I could. What little bit I know.
0: So he says what little bit I know wouldn't then let me talk you through it. Not only that,
4: I feel like the 911 officer is, I know they should be calm. So I appreciate that he's calm, but he's moving slow. He's asking him his name. How do you spell your name? I know that's all important, but... I would expect more of get her out. Is she breathing? Do this, do that. But he's spending a lot of time on logistics, which can't, don't they have GPS on the phones at that point that they could like find where
0: he is? Both players here. Ryan got a lot of heat for this call and and, and took a lot of heat, but so did the 911 operator. And after I listened to it, it was one of the first things I thought too, like what happened with this guy? You know, he seems so calm and relaxed. Those words are going to, that's like a foreshadowing of later on. So back to the call.
3: Somebody coming? Yeah, they're they're already on the way, Ryan. There's no way you can get her out of the bathtub. I can try, but I have to set the phone down. Okay, it's better to get her out of the bathtub and get her on a flat surface. Okay, okay, I'm I'm dropping the phone. She's on flight service What's that? She's on a flight service, Come on Okay, go go ahead and go back to CPO Go on and try to CPO, they'll be there in a little bit, okay? Yes. Yeah. Is your, is your doors unlocked? No Okay, you need to you run and unlock the doors So that way they can get in when they Okay care. And they come back
4: and they come back. He's the operator saying try CPR again without telling Ryan what to do. Ryan just told him the little bit I know. And he just said, yeah, go give her a little bit again. It's crazy. I also think he says, get her out on a flat surface. Is it just me or was that like two minutes into the call? Yeah. Shouldn't that have been like the first thing? Get her out onto a flat surface?
0: You know what? I, I was mistaken in some ways. I thought you're not supposed to move people. But I guess in a drowning situation, you are. I guess it's just when there's a neck or a head injury that's at play. But I didn't know if it was one of those things. Well, maybe he thought, just don't move her. Don't move her. Like, who knows? I could be hurting her more. But yeah, I mean, if he wanted her, if the operator wanted him to get her out of the tub, I would have thought that that should have been earlier. And every second counts
4: in these situations. And there's a point where Ryan even has to be like, hey, you there? Like, what's
0: going on? I thought that was so bizarre. Are you still there?
4: Like, how do you not keep talking to someone who's in a
0: traumatic situation? That's a life or death situation. This is interesting because most people were upset with Ryan about this call. But it seems that you and I are a little bit more upset with the 911 operator. Yep. Uh, if this and I've is, heard it before, you know,
4: but for some reason, it's just hitting me different this time.
0: All right, back to it.
3: Okay. Okay, they're locked now. Okay. We're upstairs. You're upstairs? Yes. Do you have more than one bathroom in the house? Or? No, there's two, but the upstairs is the only one with the bathroom. <laughs> Go ahead and put the phone down and try up for me. Okay.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes, I am. That noise that we heard, because that that becomes important later.
4: You heard that, like, kind of blowing. Yes, and I think some people might say, "Oh, that's Ryan blowing into the phone to, to- make it sound like he's doing something." That's exactly what they said. Yeah. Is,
0: is he fake blowing into the phone to make it sound like no, he's doing? No, he's clearly distraught. It's he- also weird to. I wouldn't, if I wanted to fake like a CPR noise, I don't think I'd blow directly into the phone. I don't feel like that would actually, I'm not sure. And I got the, I got the impression
4: that he was, that was just him breathing, like heavy breathing, not CPR breathing. That was just him. Oh, I don't know. Him being like, you know, like getting nervous. Okay. Let's hear.
3: Come on, Dan. Come on.
0: i couldn't even decipher whose voice was that ryan's voice i I think actually no I think it was Ryan's voice um, cuz he's yelling out CJ mm-hmm. but I, I couldn't decipher what it could said. have also been an officer's
4: voice too
0: and maybe oh, yeah. that's
4: why Ryan was telling CJ to stop barking
0: so Well that's did. definitely why he oh, was okay. I mean it was definitely you know he's yelling because the officer's clearly entering the house mm-hmm. so that also gives you a measure of how long it took for officers mm-hmm. to get there it was pretty quick There's someone out there <laughs>
3: We
4: should note here that we did edit this a bit. In the original 911 call, there is a long period of breathing and what sounds like a whimpering or a crying. There is also about a minute of their dog barking. We'll link to the unabridged version of the call in our show notes. But for our purposes here, Megan, we
0: didn't think it was critical to hear all of that background noise. Thoughts after hearing that? I mean, we went through most of it.
4: I mean, I couldn't really decipher what was going on at the end. I just heard him screaming CJ. No,
0: that's clearly when an officer came. So it was only about five or six minutes in between the call until Mm -hmm. someone was on the scene. At least the first responder was on the scene. Mm -hmm. I wish we could hear what was being said. But unfortunately, CJ had other plans for us. Mm -hmm. Um, Believe it or not, I read that some people said he didn't sound upset enough. People
4: are always going to say that. That's ridiculous. What does upset enough even mean? It's too subjective.
0: It's very subjective, but he sounds very it could be a fake act. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying it's real, but he sounds pretty upset to me. What do you think?
4: Yes, I think so. Also, he was described as a laid back, like chill guy. Like he's not a hysterical person by nature.
0: So this might be as hysterical as Ryan gets. Oh, it sounded pretty upset to me, Mm -hmm. fake or real. I didn't hear like a flat affect. He does have a flat affect a lot of times, but I didn't hear it in this one. Now that we heard what was on the 911 call, Ryan is going to share with us what we couldn't hear on the call. Um, What was he doing while he was on the phone with the operator and what was going through his mind?
1: Her face was looking upwards, but she was underneath the water. Obviously, I know, I'm sure you have the 911 recording, but everything after that was on the phone with the 911 um, operator. Um, And he had asked me a few questions. Obviously, I remember just what I hear from when listening to the 911 call. But um, at that point, he asked me if I could get her up out of the tub. And, of course, I said, yeah, I would. And I had to set the phone down. And I had to kind of step in the tub and kind of cradle her underneath her legs, like underneath where her kneecaps would be, and kind of scoop her up.
0: Is he saying that he had one foot in the tub and one out? That's what it sounded like to me.
4: Okay. Which makes sense, because if you're trying to grab someone who's wet from a bathtub,
0: you would need to... Oh, you would need to step it. I you... would think so. Oh, yeah. You couldn't be fully outside, right? Megan, was it a jacuzzi tub, like a extra deep tub. Do you have any idea? There are actually pictures that we can look at, but it it was a fairly standard tub. No, it wasn't like one of those, you know, claw, what do they call those? Those fancy tubs Mm -hmm. that stand alone. And it also wasn't a jacuzzi tub. There is some range, of course, on some tubs in terms of shallowness. I know that I've had some that were so shallow, you know, that your knees can barely go under, but it looked fairly standard. Mm
1: -hmm. The initial time I went to like pull her up, with her body being so wet, just kind of slipped. I mean, I, I wasn't up high enough to drop her very far. It was just kind of like a slip. I had to kind of readjust how I was holding on to her. And I picked her up, and I had to swing my one my right leg out of the tub and back onto the bathroom floor. And when I swung her, I turned her around. So um, if you can imagine, her head was opposite of where the bathroom door was. And when I turned her, her head was now kind of facing towards out the door. Uh, but she was still so wet that I was losing my grip. Um, and so I kind of, like, left her down as softly as I could. And at that point, about half her body was outside of the bathroom, in the master bedroom, and, like, her lower legs were still in the bathroom. And I grabbed the phone again and got up by the... Uh, by her head pretty much, and pretty much at that point, that's when I, you know, I think the uh, 911 operator asked me if I knew anything about CPR, and I took a CPR class in college, so I think that's what made me answer yes. Um, obviously, I had never had to perform CPR on anybody or mouth-to-mouth, anything like that, so I had no clue really what I was doing, even though I was certified at it at one point years before the so I dropped the phone and I gave her some chest compressions, mouth to mouth, a few times. And when I'm doing this, she has like a frothy blood coming from out her nose and stuff that I'm having to wipe out of the way as I'm putting my mouth, you know, my lips on her lips uh, to give her mouth to mouth. And, um, uh,
0: Amy, Ryan took a lot of criticism as well, I would say, for the so-called CPR attempts. He said that he made attempts to, and people said it sounded like he was faking it. But I don't know. I think as he's describing giving CPR, he's talking about bloody foam coming out of Sarah's nose. I don't think that's common knowledge that that happens. I feel like his very observation of that happening might be evidence that he was attempting to do CPR, but maybe he wasn't doing it correctly because if the foam is coming out too, he wasn't pinching her nose, which you need for CPR. Otherwise, the air will come out the nose. So I I think that these facts kind of support for me or at least indicate that he was trying to perform CPR and just not doing it properly, but. He said that he took a CPR class in college and got CPR certified. Do you know CPR? I don't. I took a CPR class also in college, but I would not know what to do. Okay. So uh, that's what I thought. I did not take CPR. I'm not certified. I don't even know how. Like James has showed me how to do CPR and I still wouldn't know. Mm -hmm. So... I, I know there was like speculation, like this guy knows CPR, or what, you know what I mean? But I, I was thinking the same thing. Like if it was a course you took in college and you're about 10 years removed for it or eight to 10 years, it might not be something you would know how to do. No.
4: And when you work with children, I'm pretty sure you need to take like, I don't know if it's an annual refresher course or every couple of years. Like there's a reason why they make people take refresher courses because it's not something you always remember. Right. Okay. So you would have to ask how to do CPR as well. I would have no idea what to do. Oh, well, I would also panic. That's my personality. But Gotcha.
0: Okay. Let's hear more.
1: I think at that point, sometime shortly after that, is when I heard someone yelling, which come to find out it was the first officer. The dog, CJ, was barking, and I left there um, where she was at and ran down because uh, I thought I was going to let him in, but he was already in the house. I yelled for him to come upstairs, and it was the first responding. This call is originating from an Ohio correctional facility and may be recorded and monitored. Uh, I led him into the uh, the bedroom, uh, but CJ the dog kind of was kind of seeming like he was attacking as much as a little dog could. So I put him in the uh, spare bedroom right across the hall from where our door was. And when we got into the bedroom, the officer asked if I could help um, and move her out further so she's fully into the bedroom. And I gr- I grabbed one of her wrists and the other officer had a hold of her other wrist and we pulled her all the way out um, so her whole body was in the master bedroom. And at that point, um, I just vaguely remember more people showing up And they kind of ushered me out of the room. Um, I I was standing at the doorway for a little bit, watching them start to perform the CPR. But, I I mean, at this point, I just I really don't know what to think and and understand really what's going on. I'm trying to process everything, I guess. And they end up taking me out into what was the fifth room, which was an open uh, media room we had where TV set up. And they sat me in a chair. Talk to me a little bit there
0: so much going on here and a a couple really important things to discuss you look like you're yes i see it the wheels are turning (laughs) go ahead what do you want to say do you think and
4: this is just an opinion question do you Mm -hmm. think walking into that scene the officers are automatically
0: thinking something's fishy here i don't know if no i don't think walking into the scene but i think that you're going to see in this case that they came they did draw very quick conclusions but I don't know if it was like a pawn scene. Mm-hmm. I think it was more of a after looking at the scene. Because I just wonder when they go
4: in, they take Ryan into the other room, sit him down. Are they thinking like, oh, distraught husband, like,
0: let me calm him down. Or, oh, this might be a suspect, you know. Good question. Well, they, they probably do think both. I don't yeah. know if they, what I mean is I don't know if they're going to assume, oh, my he, he's guilty of right course, away. Yeah, but, but, yeah, I mean, they probably assume this is like a suspicious thing. It, she's 24 years old, so... I'd assume that they treat this like possible accident, possible, mm-hmm. possibly not. So, all right. We've just heard Ryan describing finding Sarah, calling 911 from her cell phone. He's talking about all the actions that he was reportedly taking to help Sarah. He also drained the water. I think that's
4: something of importance. Oh, yeah. that's. Cause he said her to- body was soaking wet. He was losing grip because her body
0: was so wet. And he also talked about draining the water. So... Is something to keep in mind. Oh, yeah, no, that, that's also going to be a huge point. Everything Ryan said, how he said it, what he did would become scrutinized. So at this point, just five or six minutes later, after the 9-1 call is placed, it's over, and Deputy Steve Bishop was the first officer to arrive on scene.
1: I was in my boxer still. Um, when he first got there and getting him and bringing him into the room, and I really don't remember other, other than... Um, Him wanting her to get her all the way into the bedroom um, so she wasn't still in the bathroom. Um, That's really all I remember. Um, And I know they asked me a few questions, uh, the specific questions they asked me. I, I don't really remember for sure.
4: Well, this begs the question, did he have any
0: marks on him? It does beg the question.
4: No, he didn't have any marks on him. So he was wearing just boxers. He wasn't trying to hide anything. And there were no marks on him. No marks. You know, I'm, I'm talking about offensive wounds here because sometimes because if you have a perpetrator, you would expect them to have offensive wounds, which now begs the question. Did Sarah have defensive wounds? No.
0: OK, well, she had no defensive wounds and he had no offensive. And also, um, i to point out one thing that comes to me here. If I'm committing a crime and cops are coming to my house and whatnot, am I going to be in my underwear or might I if I'm planning this, if I plan this or, mm-hmm. you know, or I'm waiting don't I put some clothes on? Unless you're
4: smart enough to think ahead and say, I don't want to, I want to make it look like I was caught by surprise. So, right? You can always, we can yeah. go back and forth No, on this all is, of this. This is
0: subjective too, obviously. And we do promise we get to like experts and all that, but uh, so much of this case was just subjective opinion. Mm-hmm. But it was something that I thought about quickly. Like, what do no. you yeah. Been in his boxer shorts. I'm not really sure. Investigators on the scene found no sign of drugs, an intruder in the home. Police and medics said that Sarah's body felt, quote, not overly moist and her hair was wet or damp. The Bathroom overall seemed a little bit dry for a drowning scene is what they said uh, or observed. Nothing in the bathroom or house looked v- much out of place or suggested any type of struggle initially. There was no splash water, wet towels, no towels in the dryer either. But I guess if it was staged, maybe responders did notice that Sarah had a fresh manicure and pedicure that didn't look disturbed and she had no bruises or signs of injury on her. And neither did he. Sorry, just to play devil's advocate,
4: the lack of defensive wounds doesn't mean that she wasn't attacked. It could have been a blitz attack, right? Certainly. But I think we usually see some sign of a struggle. Meaning we usually see some sort of defensive wounds, um, especially if she had a fresh manicure.
0: Yeah, no, there are reasons why you might not see defensive wounds. But I would think if she's a healthy 24-year-old who is not frail and if she was facing her attacker, I would think she'd be fighting. She's also known to be quite feisty. She's not someone who
4: would go down without a fight. I don't think so. And if that's the case, I mean, you would see something on probably her hands, her forearms. Right. That's where we usually see defensive wounds and more
0: so you would see wounds on Ryan. Right. And I think you might also find skin under her nails, possibly. Remember? Nails scraping Mm -hmm. or whatnot. So none of these things were present. And I'm glad we note why they are important.
4: And also when we talk about damp versus wet. So you're saying the first responders said that Sarah's body felt, quote, not overly moist. Yeah,
0: not overly moist. They said she was still somewhat wet, but not like soaking, not dripping. Okay,
4: which would make sense, though, based on Ryan's story. She wouldn't have been dripping wet. Well, some people say she should have been. How much time had passed before the first
0: responders arrived? It was about six minutes until police arrived. But first responders were just a few minutes later. And if he had just pulled her out of the tub, I think people, the the thought was that if he just pulled her out of that tub, she should have been a lot wetter than she was. He did drain the water. Yes, he did. And he spent a lot of time trying to move her. So that would like yes, shake off did. some water. Yes, he, I think mm-hmm. so, too. Plus, we don't know the temperature of the house, the temperature of the water,
4: you know, of the certain, room,
0: yeah, of the, like right. anything. Mm-hmm. There's all these unknown factors that weren't really accounted for. So their next door neighbors, Mandy and Ashley, uh, their husband and wife, often hung out with Ryan and they often got together. And their dog started barking. She went to the window and saw ambulances and emergency personnel all over the Widmer's home. And soon she saw Sarah on a stretcher being brought out. But they also saw a very distraught Ryan on his cell phone. So in the ambulance, as medics worked on Sarah, Ryan frantically called both his mom and Sarah's mom, who rushed to the hospital to meet him. It was here at the hospital that they were all informed that Sarah was pronounced dead at eleven forty-one p.m. Just fifty-two minutes after Ryan called nine-one-one. We were
1: both just crying. I mean, she was fine. Yeah, she, I mean, I shouldn't say fine. Fine, not the right word. We were obviously all upset, but not saying we were obviously trying talking about trying to figure out what happened, but there was nothing to figure out. I mean, just, we just, you know, we just both were consoling each other. You know, just trying to understand and there was nothing to make
0: sense of what happened. Ryan claimed that he and Sarah's mother were so confused, but that they were grieving together.
4: You notice Ryan said, fine, well, that's not the right word. Mm -hmm. Do you notice he misspeaks often? I think so. Like, I don't know if he just gets, um, you know, some people get flustered. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I say words ridiculously wrong, right? Oh, yeah,
0: you definitely do.
4: I just think that when we go back and scrutinize the fact that he said face up, face down. Mm Mm-hmm. It might just be not being able to find the right word.
0: Absolutely. It could be a very innocent thing. I mean, this is unfortunate, too. We're talking about an hour after he finds her. Sarah's mom is there and everyone's grieving. So what happens next? What happens after the death notification? Well, coroner investigator Doyle Burke, who served as a cop in Dayton, Ohio, for 29 years, including a homicide detective before he was hired as a coroner, came to the hospital and met with Ryan at around just after 1230 a.m., he was summoned, though, Amy, to the hospital to investigate a death more than 10 minutes prior to when Sarah was actually declared dead. I mean, it was becoming apparent that she was not going to make it. So,
4: Also, I want to point out that he was a homicide detective before he was a coroner. So mm-hmm. he
0: probably looks at things through a different, bit of a different lens than other people. Yes, very true. I agree. Ryan signed a consent to search form, which gave police the right to search the couple's home for clues about Sarah's death. Okay, so consent to search.
4: I talk. I always talk about this with my students when we talk about the exclusionary rule, right? Oh, yeah. The Fourth Amendment, the right against unreasonable searches and seizures, right? So the police need a warrant. Mm-hmm. However, there are certain exceptions to that rule, yes. one of them being a consent search. So a consent search is when the police make a search based on the voluntary consent of the individual whose person or property is being searched. So you don't need a warrant. You don't need probable cause. It's really when you get pulled over. Oh, you mind if I look in your car? Yeah, sure. It's simply saying, yes, go ahead. Now, I look at this as he has nothing to hide. Why wouldn't he consent to search? Some people say it might make you look guilty if you don't consent to search. Right. I don't think Ryan
0: was thinking about innocence or guilt at that point. No. He just wanted to know what happened. That's exactly why he was willing to let anyone in because, I mean, if you believe his story, but he said... He just wanted to figure out what happened to Sarah. And if they had to tear the house apart, so be it. You know, there are some lawyers
4: that say even if you have nothing to
0: hide, though, you should never consent to search. Of
4: course. Just like
0: even if you have nothing to hide, you should probably not speak to police. You should always without a lawyer. Do You
4: know, innocent people, though, are more likely to waive their rights, more likely to talk to police more likely to consent to search because people that have nothing to hide, they believe that their
0: truthfulness will be evident. Unfortunately, they aren't that familiar with the criminal justice system then. No, not. And some of the flaws within. Mm -hmm. Okay, so Burke spoke to the Hamilton Township paramedics and was told that the carpet wasn't damp where Sarah was found. He examined Sarah's body and quickly concluded that the deceased was naked and showed no obvious signs of trauma. In other words, there were no telltale signs of murder. The notes say her hair was wet, but her skin was not. But this is more than an hour that had passed since the 911. So when he got to look at her, her, she's not going to be wet. Her body would not be wet anymore an hour later. I mean,
4: if more than an hour passed, her hair's probably not wet anymore either. Maybe it's just a little damp. But...
0: Well, first of all, damp. Yes. Her hair could definitely be damp. My hair will stay damp just anecdotally for like a couple hours. It will. Okay. Yeah. But, but I don't think it's a surprise that she was not, her skin wasn't wet after an hour. Going back to what
4: you had mentioned before, Megan, we don't know what the humidity was in that bathroom. We don't know if the how hot or cold the water was, right? So all
0: there's, of that is going to... There are unknown factors. Also, as we go through, I'm making note of what he's saying. There's going to be different accounts of Sarah's condition. I mean, everybody agrees that her hair was damp. There's really not a dispute there, but there are many different accounts of what her body was like in terms of moisture and wet, being wet. Ryan said, though, that he basically had signed that consent to search form, but he said it wasn't that long before he realized that investigators thought that he did something to Sarah and they weren't considering other explanations. Meanwhile, back at the Widmer home, emergency crews and police were trying to make sense of what happened that evening to Sarah. They listened to the 911 call Mm. and their suspicion of Ryan grew. Why would he say she fell asleep in the bathtub? Was this an excuse? How did he already know she was dead? Why was there so little moisture on and around Sarah when the medics arrived, when Ryan said he had found her submerged? Why did he tell the 911 dispatcher that he had been downstairs watching TV? Was this like him trying to establish an alibi? More specifically, he told the police he was watching the Bengals game downstairs. However, the upstairs TV was tuned into that channel and not the downstairs TV. Oh, come on. He could have been flipping. Exactly. Every detail is significant, but there are some that, are not significant to it establishing almost, him committing a
4: crime. Yeah, it almost seems like they're suspecting him, and now they're trying to find any evidence that
0: confirms their new theory. Right, and and here's what happened. Ryan couldn't bring himself to spend another night at the house or even go back to pick up his things. So Ryan's mom, Jill, went to the house for him to pick up some of his stuff. And when she did, she noticed that pieces of the bedroom carpet were cut out the very first night, which does answer a question of yours from earlier. From the moment they walked in, did they think it was a crime? I don't know. But by the moment they left, they were sure suspicious. Why else would they take out pieces of carpet? Oh, no, they're only taking it out because they're suspicious that a crime happened. Mm -hmm. Um, She also saw Sarah's rings and she took them to give to Ryan. Jill, her sister and brother-in-law, sat at Jill's home that evening, consoling what they say was a very distraught, widowed Ryan. When Ryan's cousin Sean found out about Sarah, he was devastated.
2: I was working at the University of Florida at the time. And we were going out to our morning practice. My wife and I, we weren't married at the time. Um, We were dating. And I was going to go out to practice. So I was walking down the hallway of our facility. And she walked out of her office. And she was in tears. And she held the phone out to me. And right away, I was like, somebody died. Like something, something was not right. And I didn't know what it was. So I take the phone. And it was my mom. And she's crying. And she said, Sarah died last night with a brief explanation of what happened that didn't make sense. She drowned in the bathtub. You don't know what's going on. you It wasn't until I start talking to Ryan and trying to get answers and stuff like that. And it was, well, I mean, everybody just wanted answers talking about what's going on, what's going on. And so that day or within that 48 hours or whatever it was, we had this guy who worked with us, who was like a big time lawyer, like one of the CFO or CEO or something like Shell Oil Company, like a big time major lawyer. And uh, he he had worked with us. And he kind of asked me what was going on. I told him and he said, you need to get that kid a lawyer. I said, he doesn't need a lawyer. He didn't do anything. And uh, he he said, you're not listening to me. He said, go get that kid a lawyer. And so I said, all right. So I call him. I tell him, Ryan's like, I don't want a lawyer. Why would I need a lawyer? I didn't do anything. So I go back and I tell the lawyer guy so he said he's not gonna get a lawyer and the dude (laughs) the dude he's like in his he was like in his 70s or something at the time like grabbed me by the collar like threw me against the wall and was like listen you dumb son of a he's like you get that kid a lawyer he goes uh he goes innocent people get convicted in this country every day so I called his mom back later that night and and told her what this guy told me and tried to convince her to talk to him about it and stuff. And she was kind of had the same attitude. And then I think eventually they kind of relented and we end up hiring a guy. But, but another thing people don't think about with this is like <laughs> before this happened, like it's not like we had a bunch of murder attorneys on Rolodex, you know what I mean? It's not like we knew what to do at all. And so we, now we're looking for a murder attorney. Like who do you even ask? Like who do you even know that, has like, Oh yeah, you know, I use this guy, but he stunk. So I had to use my next murder. I use this other guy. I mean, you just don't, you, you just don't know anybody. So we, we end up getting a guy who I think really meant well or whatever, but it was just really a bad situation. I don't think he ever had tried a murder trial and, but you know, he was kind of part of that whole, all those people there that kind of got over their skis with Ryan. And I don't think he wanted to like make any waves and, and stuff like that it's
4: such a good point that sean makes you just don't know a murder most people don't just know
0: who to call for i do a murder well, i do so do i but right <laughs> most lay people don't know no I, I mean really when he said the murder roll decks yes. i thought the same thing like and who do you even ask can you no. refer me to well i guess you google it nowadays but yeah but that's still taking a chance yeah I mean, we're talking about the most serious charge that mm-hmm. you can be charged with yeah also once again we
4: see ryan saying why would i need a lawyer i'm innocent Right.
0: Yeah. Perfect example of what we spoke about before. Regardless of innocence or guilt, Amy, we've seen this time and time and again. So what would be your advice to anyone charged with a crime? Get a lawyer. Immediately. No matter how
4: innocent you are, you get a lawyer. You do not talk to the police without
0: one. Correct. Unfortunately, that is the reality that we're up against.
4: People tend to think it makes them look guilty if they ask for a lawyer, but Mm -hmm. who cares what it makes you look like? You need to protect yourself.
0: Absolutely. Ryan's family was very supportive of him right from the start, as you can tell. They were all together, and and nobody believed that he was even capable of killing Sarah. But what did Sarah's family think, and what did the public have to say about Ryan? Janice Hissel, a local journalist who covered the case and wrote the book Submerge, talks about what the public sentiment was.
4: What was interesting about it is members of the general public, most people who would comment on the story, we had a a way you could go on there and make comments at the bottom of the news story online. A lot of people were saying, oh, this sounds really super suspicious. But then the few people who actually knew who Ryan Widmer was would come out and say, wait a minute, not so fast. This is the most laid-back, mild-mannered, easygoing guy I have ever known, and there is absolutely no way that he would do this. And on top of it, the family of Sarah Widmer initially came out in support of Ryan saying, I do remember very clearly when her brother stood in front of the judge and said, in our heart of hearts, we do not believe that he did this. That was a very powerful
0: moment. Sarah's family, along with many others, believed that Ryan was innocent, but that would soon change. Next time on Direct Appeal. Sarah's manner of death is determined, while a local media frenzy starts to build around Ryan Whitmer. And we find out just what the public sentiment was in this case. Direct Appeal Season 2 is written and hosted by Megan Sachs and Amy Schlossberg. Our producer is James Varga. Editing by Jose Alfonso. And special thanks to Janice Hissel, whose book Submerged was integral to this production. If you have a tip, you can submit through our website or by emailing us at tips at directappealpodcast.com. You can also help us out by following or leaving a review wherever you listen to your podcasts.